I promise you, I think, I promise you that I think that I still know how to preach. It's been six weeks. You want to find out? Let's find out. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, and as we are going to, I, I think part of my intention today is to try to land the plane a little bit on the sermons that we've heard over the last six weeks. We had some incredible guest preachers come in, and then we had some people from our own family come and talk to us, Pastor Mark and Marcus and Pastor Sharon last Sunday. You guys all got free socks when you came to church last Sunday, and a really good sermon from Sharon. So uh, so it's been good. It's been really, really good, and I've been blessed just to get a reminder of what it's like to sit in a church service and not be the guy talking all the time, and, and so now I'm going to be the guy talking today. Uh, but as we get into 1 Kings chapter 17. Would you just join me in one more moment of prayer? God, I really hope I remember how to do this, but more than that, I really actually think that you've given me a, a word that would would put a period on the end of a, of, a, of a kind of a series with all these different guest speakers that we've had, and Lord, would you just say something through me that would honor you, would bless these people, and would help us live more like you here in the world. We love you, God. We open our hearts to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Kings, we are going to read a story about a guy named Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. He's an Old Testament prophet to the people of Israel. And he was prophesying, particularly in this story, during a time when the kings of Israel are let's say wicked to say the least. They were some bad dudes. In fact, if you go back and read in 1 Kings 16, there's, a, there's one king where it says this guy was worse than all of them. He, he sins and leads the people in wickedness like you haven't ever seen before. That's bad. And Elijah's job is to represent the voice of God to the people of God during that time when the king is wicked. And then the next king, he's also wicked. Then the next king, wickedest of all, right? It's just down the list. And by the time you get to the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 17, you see Elijah react. You see, in, in verse 16, he's quiet. It's just a story about some bad kings. And then Elijah gets a turn. He's like, all right, cracks his knuckles, stands up, you know, strains his collar, wipes some dust off his shoulder. And he's like, it's my turn. Now I have something to say. And what we're actually going to read a story about today is some of the aftermath from Elijah's reaction to these wicked kings. I've got uh, some observations I want to share with you, some lessons, and then uh, I promise you we're going to come back around to praying together today. That's actually how we're going to end this time together. Uh, but this story is going to begin with two promises, a promise that Elijah makes and then a promise made by God. That's how this story begins. And so I want to start with you in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse one. We'll read all the way to verse 6 in this section of our time together today. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, Ahab is one of those wicked kings at the time, he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. That's a baller statement. Right? So he says, No rain, no dew, nothing until I say so. Verse 2, he says, then the word of the Lord came to him, that's to Elijah. This is, this is really good, by the way. Uh, he says the word, he gives a reaction to, to King Ahab, all the wickedness that was going on. No dew, no rain, and then, thank God, 
God then responds to Elijah, right? So this is where we begin to see Elijah makes a, 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 or Elijah hears a promise from God in verse three. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the Wadi Cherith, which where which is the name of a river, where it enters the Jordan, which is the name of another river. River. Uh, you are to drink from the Wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded him, which is always just good advice when you hear the Lord say something. Do it. Elijah left there and lived at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. So he went to where he was told and he did what he was told to do. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening he would drink from the Wadi. Now, before we dig in, I want to give you a disclaimer to this story and just maybe this is good, just like how to study the Bible 101, which by the way, if you want to know a little bit more about how to study the Bible, you should sign up for the Growth Collective that Kristen is teaching on Wednesday night, starting this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. There's two other ones that Pastor Mark will tell you about later, but there you go. Free plug for your class there, Kristen. Uh, But here's a disclaimer. I think it is important for us to, to first, before we dig into this text, to understand that we are not the characters in this story. Can you just turn to somebody near you say, you're not in the Bible? Okay, this is really important because we can learn from these characters, but we, we can't draw too many parallels from the biblical characters, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, we we want to be careful that we, we know where the line is in drawing parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we get in trouble when we say, well, because it happened that way in the Old Testament, we're just going to claim that and, and just say in the name of Jesus, that's how it's going to happen for us in 2022. Because, yeah, you know, nothing's changed in that much time. We get in particular problems when we do this with the Old Testament because everything has changed. God actually flipped the whole plan of how we engage with him on its head. And so we have to be very, very careful. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, These are similar days that Elijah was living into our days. So we can learn from this story, right? There's a severe drought in Elijah's day. We also have been living through a season that maybe it's not been a drought, although we do have a drought in Southern California. Let's get Elijah out of town for that one and pray that it would actually start raining on a regular basis, but not the sermon or the point that I'm trying to make right now. We are living like they have been living in drought days in Elijah's time. We've been living in some pretty rough days. Have you heard? There's, there was a pandemic, right? There was like a whole thing. And then there's all like the social tensions that's going on and don't even start talking about a presidential election and all of the like vomit. Just let's let's move on, please. But we can relate to hard days. That's, that's what we can certainly relate to. Now, we want to be careful, though, because these are similarly difficult seasons. We can learn from these people. However, not everything about Elijah's story mirrors our story. For example, Elijah was the one who started the drought. It was his idea. Scripture doesn't even say that God told him to do it. He just was mad. There is, as far as I'm aware, there's been no one that stood up and said, God just sent a prophet or some prophet was just mad at the world and was like, hey, you know what's a good idea right now? COVID-19, right? No, it's a completely different story, although we can learn something. Why? Difficult days, right? Similar, but not the same. So all of this said, I now want to talk to you about these two promises. The first promise was Elijah declared that there would be no rain in response to Israel's wickedness. I am not going to get bogged down in what does it mean for prophetic people to say things that God didn't actually tell them to say 
and then God does it. That's a, like, that's a whole weird element of this story that I confess is weird, but we're not going to spend time on that today, okay? Buy me a cup of coffee, and we'll wrestle with that together. But Elijah calls for a drought, and then it happened, and God was clearly okay with it because God's response wasn't rebuke. It was a promise. And the promise was, this is the second promise in the story that we've read so far, God is going to provide for Elijah. And here's where we can begin to learn an actual lesson for our lives. I, I would say the first lesson that you can take away from this story is that God is both faithful and creative in the way he takes care of his people. Over the last six weeks, we've heard sermons about what it's like when God doesn't show up on time according to your schedule, when God's word for you isn't what you were hoping it would be, and, and, and what does it look like for you to live in the middle of the wilderness, and Sharon told us last week, just keep walking, right? And we heard, what does it look like for us to see God speaking life in the middle of circumstances that look like death, and what does it look like for us to, to be people who know how to fight like Christians? You thought I wasn't paying attention. I was paying attention to all these sermons you guys heard. Right, God is calling us to a higher level of commitment to, to walking his way even in the middle of difficult situations. And you know how we can do that is we have faith in this that God is faithful. And he's also very creative. Now, look, look back at verses 4 through 7 with me. It says, you are to drink from the wadi, that's the name of the river, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. That sounds cool. What I would expect when I listen to this being read to me or as I read it in scripture, if you don't dig in too deeply, don't think about it too much. God gave me water to drink from a river and he sent me birds. Yummy. And yet God is more creative than that. Because God didn't actually want these birds to be dinner he wanted them to be waiters. Listen to the way God actually provided for Elijah. He proceeded to do what he commanded. Elijah lived there at the river. And verse 6 says, the ravens kept bringing him bread and meat. Can you picture that in your mind? I heard that. Someone said that's a little disgusting. If a bird, if a raven flies out to you in the middle of the desert, you're just living by a river, and a raven has a meat patty in his mouth. And then his brother flies along, and he's got a croissant in his mouth. Are you making a sandwich? I don't know. I think that depends on how hungry you are. Right? Maybe it's a different sermon. But maybe you'll eat what God provides you if you're hungry enough. Right? Which maybe it's a different sermon, but maybe we could have a conversation about how often we complain about the way God delivers something to us. Because it, it came in the mouth of a bird, and I don't know that I like that. Right? I don't know. Maybe this will end up being the same sermon. We'll see. God provides food and drink for, for Elijah with a bunch of birds coming in morning and night, twice a day they show up with food in their mouth. Or, I don't know, maybe in their, is it talons? That somehow feels grosser to me. Twice a day, and then there's water in a river. So first things first, God is always faithful. Always faithful. And he's never late. I love in Lord of the Rings when, uh, when Gandalf finally shows up to celebrate Bilbo's birthday party, right? 
Where you're finally here. And Gandalf goes, a wizard is never late. He shows up precisely when he means to. Right? This is this is exactly God. That's a great picture of God's timing. Might not have been when you wanted him to get here, but it was exactly when he intended to arrive. And because he's smarter than us, it was exactly the right time. So God tells Elijah to go to a place where water already flowed so that the early impact of the drought, which Elijah caused, would not actually reach Elijah. That's pretty profound because God is faithful, but God is also creative because he did it in a way that wasn't just like some guy rolled up on a scooter every day with DoorDash for Elijah. It was birds. Bird dash. Thank you for helping me preach this sermon today. That was an I should have put that in my notes. <laughs> All the jokes are coming out right now. Let's move on. <laughs> One lesson here is that God is not limited in the way that he can provide for us. I think that we find that, that God will provide for us however he sees fit. And it's up to us to have our eyes open to be able to see the way that God will provide and not put him in a box. Have you heard the, the, the joke, even though it's kind of a morbid joke, about the guy who dies in a flood and then he gets to heaven and he's like, God, how come you didn't save me? I was crying out to be rescued by you and I had all kinds of faith that you'd save me. And God's response was, I sent you a guy in a speedboat. I sent you a whole crew of people in a helicopter. There was even a dude on a jet ski. And every single time that these people came by, they said, hey, would you like to be rescued from the roof of your house before you drown? And you said, I just have faith that God will save me. And now you're dead, you idiot. I think God will probably call some people dummies when we get to heaven. I'm probably going to be one of them. But I think we have to be careful to not put God's ability to provide for us in a box or to, to tell him how to provide for us, right? I don't think Elijah would have, on his way to the river, been like, God, you know what would be so awesome? You know what I've wanted my whole life is for birds to deliver food for me twice a day. Could you just make that happen? I don't think that Elijah thought that. I think that he just was able to see God's provision when it happened. So God provides for Elijah. Everything's great, right? Let's go home. Let's just declare in the name of Jesus we're never going to go without. Everything's going to be good. And as soon as God starts providing for you, that's it for the rest of your life. You are set forever, right? So let's read verse 7 and find out. After a while, the wadi dried up. You, you want to know why? It says because there had been no rain in the land. another sermon that I'm not intending to preach today, but have you ever tried to complain to God about something and then God's like, you actually made this bed, right? This actually, God, why don't I have any money? Well, if you went and applied for a job, right? God, why don't I feel like you're near to me? Well, if you prayed. Just a couple of examples are just drawn out of thin air. I haven't preached in six weeks, guys. You're getting all of it today. All right, so let, let's, let's actually pause here for a second because it can feel like a gut punch when all of a sudden the way that God provided for you dries up. God provides a river, but the river ran, ran dry. Now, let me just, let's just say, this is incredibly natural. There was a drought. Of course, the river was going to run dry. He was sent to the river at the beginning of the drought so that the early days of the drought wouldn't negatively affect the guy that declared the drought in God's name. 
But can you relate to the feeling that you were convinced that God was providing for you for life through one way and then one day it doesn't work anymore? It, it's just dried up? Maybe you've prayed something like, God, when this panic, pandemic began, it was only going to be two weeks and everything was going to be great. I was okay. You've sustained me through the first year, but the world just refuses to go back to normal and all of my resources are starting to get tight. God, where are you and where is your promise? Why did you stop providing for me? Am I the only one that has felt like that's a prayer? That, that it, like a real prayer that we pray? So if you can relate to this, I think you'll be interested to see what happens next. In verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Thank God. Get up. Go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. So now go to another place. Don't stay in the place where your resources dried up. Look, I've commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. He went and he arrived at the city gate. There was a widow gathering wood. Oh my goodness, God said there'd be a woman there and she's going to provide for you. I've commanded for her to provide for you. He goes to the city gate. What does he find? A woman there. It's almost like God knows what's going to happen. Elijah called to the woman, and he said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. Why does he immediately ask this? Because he was told, this woman is here to provide for you. I've commanded for her to provide for you. And so she, as she went to get it, he called to her and he said, oh, by the way, please also bring me bread in your hand. Because he, he's like thirsty, but then he remembers, oh yeah, the birds aren't coming anymore either. Because now I'm not at the place where the birds used to door dash my food twice a day. And so now I, I've got to make requests for dinner as well. So give me some water. Oh, by the way, also bring me some bread. God is faithful and he's very creative. He can do it with birds. You can do it with widows, right? And, and this is the piece of Elijah's story that should drive home the point that God always has a plan. When the river dried up, do you think that God was looking down and going, oh, no, I didn't see that coming. No, God saw the river drying up miles upstream. He saw the river would dry up before he ever told Elijah to go there. God told him where to go and what to expect, and that's exactly what he found. Why? Because God is faithful. God is providing for him in multiple ways. Why? Because God is super creative. So let's, let's understand again what happened. A drought comes, which Elijah started. God responds creative, creatively with birds and water as a natural source of water. But since, the, since there was a drought, the water naturally dries up. And here's the lesson. Your resource is not meant to become your source. Your resource is not meant to become your source. Can I give you an example? I used to buy a particular kind of hair product. I loved this hair product and it loved me back. And I would go to, to one store, let's be honest, Sharon would go to one store, because <laughs> whenever I would go to the store, I would always come back with the wrong stuff except for this one hair product, because this was my thing. Fellas, you can relate. <laughs> David's over here like, he's telling my story right now. 
So we would get this one hair product from a particular store in town, and recently they stopped selling it. Not in the local store, not online, nowhere. Couldn't find it anywhere else in town. Started going to different stores. And then one day, Sharon comes home, and she goes, your hair is looking a mess. I found you a different product. I don't want a different product. I want the product I had before. And she said, drink some coffee. And then try this new hair product. And so I did. And I hated it. And then she said, well, I'm not getting you the old thing because it's not there anymore. Keep trying this. And eventually I realized, oh, you know what? It's a hair product. Okay. We can move on. That really silly illustration, that ridiculous story, is a really good reminder to me that I can go to the store and it ultimately doesn't matter which hair product I buy, I just need a hair product. It would be a good idea if when they stop selling my hair product, I don't just go, well, I'm just gonna grow it out now. I'll never do my hair again. Do you want the pastor to have dreadlocks? <laughs> Other than David, I think the answer is probably no. My wife certainly doesn't. Why is this important? There are so many times in my life, and probably I think you could probably relate to this in yours, when God begins to have or you begin to see a resource dry up and panic and a sense of losing your identity sets in. God, who am I if I'm not provided for in this way anymore? Who am I if I don't have this source of income? Who am I if I don't do this work? Who am I if, I, if I'm not connected to these people who used to give me life and now that relationship doesn't give me life anymore? Who am I? And you have to go to the actual source of your identity and your life and your resources, plural, of all different kinds of resources. And we have to make sure that we don't try to put God back in the box and go, God, I'm fine. You could be super creative one time and then just keep the same resource for, for the rest of my life forever. And God goes, no, no, no. No, the point isn't that you depend on the thing. The point is that you learn to depend on me. So sometimes... Sometimes, I'm not saying every time, and I'm not saying that if you have found a resource that dried up that this is exactly what happened, but I'm saying sometimes God will actually allow or maybe even force a resource in your life to dry up for you just so that you will be reminded that God is your source and not the thing you are coming to depend on. Right? So have you kept your dependency on God? This becomes the question. Resources can come and go. There is only one God who, are, who is our provider, right? This is why Paul writes, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And Paul was writing that to friends as he was reflecting on how they had helped fund his ministry. And he was actually telling them about another group of people who suddenly became ministry funders for all of the missionary work that Paul was doing. Paul was saying, I'm so thankful for you and I'm thankful for these guys, but let's not remember the lesson. God will supply your need. Because your money isn't my, re my source, it's just a resource that my source is using to provide for me. And my source is always God and never man, never money. And then maybe you fill in the blank with whatever else it might be. So we have to remember, God 
always has a plan. God kept his word that he provided for Elijah. He says, I have commanded a woman to provide for you. He shows up to town, and what does he find? A woman who was right there, and he says, hey, provide for me, because God said that he totally would. And so this is how this woman responds in verse 12. This is going to be super encouraging for you. She says, she says, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now, she says, in, in fact, right now, what I was about to do, right as you were walking up to ask me to bring you some water and to go bake you some bread, just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go and prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Whew. Do you ever, like, think that you figured it all out? And then right as you're about to step out into the thing, you're like, I figured it out. This is how God's going to provide for me forever now. It's going to be great. Awesome. Maybe you, like, went to go get a new job, and you're like, everything's amazing. And then, no, that's not it. (laughs) What do you do in that moment? How do you respond when what you thought was going to be a new resource for you, it turns out, was already dried up before you even got there. But you know that God said that he would provide for you in this way. What do you do? What a great opportunity for you to decide whether or not you're going to stand on the promise that God has given you. Elijah's first resource dries up. God's got a creative follow-up plan. And his creative follow-up plan was to lead him to a new resource that had already dried up before he arrived. So we're thinking about how Elijah must think, but put yourself in the shoes of this woman for a second. Scripture calls her a widow, which means at one point she was married and her husband had died. Culturally at the time, what that means is that her source, had her resource, had dried up. That was her, her, her ability to have provision and income in those days. So she's a widow with a son that she has to now provide for during a drought. And the guy that caused the drought shows up and says, can I have some bread, please? Now, I don't know that she knew that it was his fault. I think that at the very least, she would have known, if not that he was Elijah, the great prophet to the people of Israel. Certainly, she would have known from the way he carried himself and what, how he dressed. And culturally, in those days, the way he dressed would have given away that he was, at the very least, a man of God. And so a man of God shows up to town. He's full of faith. He just shows up. He's like, hey, sweetheart, can I get some water? And, oh, by the way, also some bread. And her response is, I have actually already decided that my resources have dried up and I've chosen starvation and death. Because I don't actually have anything else. And so just to fill our bellies for a little while, we're going to go eat some sticks. She'd resigned herself to failure, to, to giving up. Suddenly the man of God shows up, I've come for dinner. And yet, didn't God tell Elijah, I have commanded a woman to provide for you? I think there's something here. That apparently, God doesn't always tell us when we or how we are going to be a part of his plan. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while and you've ever accidentally been a blessing to somebody, you know what it feels like when God didn't tell you how you were going to be a part of his plan. 
Have you ever, have you ever like, just found that you just felt moved by compassion to be a blessing to somebody, to maybe give somebody a little extra money, and they just begin to weep or break down? I just, maybe you just showed up at their house one day and just said, hey, I was, I was thinking about you or just called them. I was thinking about you, and their response is overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed with emotion because they just, their response is something like, you have no idea how much I was praying. You are the answer to prayer right now. Have you ever been in that situation? This is, this is what God's intention was. I'm going to use a woman to be a blessing. She, she isn't even going to see it coming. Except crank this story up to 11 because this woman is going to be required to give out of her lack. Out of her nothing. Out of her, I have a little bit of flour. I was going to eat this and then we're done. That's it. But God is not obligated to tell you how or when or even why you're a part of his plan. This is actually driven home by Elijah's response, by the way, uh, that that this was certainly part of God's plan and that God was going to have Elijah double down on on this woman being used by, by God. In verse 14, or 13 rather, Elijah responds, Don't be afraid, which is a great thing to say to someone who's afraid, but don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. So go and, go and you know, make your last little bit. But first, make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Insensitive. After you make me some for yourself and your son. So me first. Then after, then after you can go ahead and make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The flower jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. Elijah, you want to throw in like an apology for starting a drought? No, nothing. Nothing like that. No, instead what he says is, I now declare that your resources will not run dry until there's rain. In other words, this resource will be sustained until the next one comes in. Because this resource isn't supposed to become our source, just like the first one wasn't, right? So sometimes we're a part of God's plan in ways that are surprising. And sometimes we're a part of God's plan in ways that are uncomfortable. And our job in all of this is to be submitted to the idea of being used by God as a resource, even if it feels like it takes our last breath. You remember at the beginning of this story I said, you're not in the Bible. This story is meant to encourage you and teach you lessons. I think it's very, very important that we remember you're not the star of this story. God is the star of the story every single time. This is really important for us as Western Christians to hear because we were brought up to think we're the star of the story. If you're younger than me, uh, which they're all at camp, you know, there's a couple in the room, uh, people younger than me, every sports team that they joined got a trophy. I'm, I am one of those guys that does not understand this. What, we got third place. Maybe give me a trophy for third place, but it says like big three on it. Right? Fourth place? There's a trophy for that? We call those participation trophies. 
We want you to know that you really, really matter. And you do really, really matter. But we want to give you a reward for losing to everybody else all season. <laughs> now, I'm going to be careful here. I've got kids, and I understand the importance of making sure your kids understand that they are valued. But sometimes our desire to make sure our children are valued actually ends up doing more damage than good. And a lot of that speaks into the culture that we live in where we have raised up entire generations of people who have actually come to believe I'm the star of the story. And if the store isn't open at the time that I show up, then it's the manager's fault. Can I speak to the manager, please? Why didn't you open when I, didn't you know I was coming? I'm me. Why didn't you have the, the hair gel? Don't you know? That's my product. You didn't remember that this is actually a movie about my life? And you're all just extras in it. And this is the way we've actually trained our entire culture to believe, some very loudly, but most of us very subtly. And so God comes along and he says, I'm going to make you incredibly uncomfortable and I'm going to use every last breath of your life to be a blessing to other people. And it does not compute. Because we were told life was about us. And then we were preached the gospel, or at least a version of it, and we were told that following Jesus was also about us. And Jesus said, I loved you when you didn't deserve it. This story was always about Jesus. This was always about how he is the hero, how he is the savior, how he is the rescuer, how he is the provider, and you are a tool, a resource. You are blessed only to the extent that God can prove that his love is always better than yours, his gifting is always better than your expectation, and his plan is always bigger and better than your plan. And I've experienced this in my own personal life when I complain to God and he has to remind me, Tim, I understand that you have like a whole church of people that come and listen to you talk, but you're really not anywhere near as special as I am. This story is not about me. It, guys, this story isn't even about life, church. It's always about God and what he is doing. And if God wants to use your very last breath to be a blessing in the world, that's never a punishment. That's a gift. That's a gift. What an honor. What a privilege it would be that your very last would be used to honor God. Rather than the Western gospel that we preach is what a privilege Jesus had to die on the cross so that we could become as amazing as we are. And so one day, maybe also the rest of the world could become like us. That's not the gospel, guys. The gospel is Jesus died to set an example. So go die. Not quickly. Don't go looking for it but go give your life. This is the gift. I understand that that's heavy. I understand that that's challenging for us, but we have to pay attention to the way God calls us. This story is about him. He's going to provide for us however and whenever he wants, and he's going to use us however and whenever he wants. Our job is to be like Elijah and be able to have our eyes open to see however God is going to provide for us. If it's birds, if it's a burger joint, or if it's 
a widow giving her very last. And how dare Elijah, could you imagine if he came in without actually honoring, without actually giving any of his, his giving relationship to this, to this widow? The story goes on that it says that he ended up living with these people for years, for the rest of the time that the drought was. He ended up actually serving and ministering to this family for the rest of the time that the drought was. Isn't it interesting that Elijah comes and he begins to serve and be a part of this community rather than coming in and going, I'm actually expecting because God told me he was going to provide for me here. So, so thank you for giving your very last breath in the name of God for me. Elijah doesn't do that. He comes in, he just declares the promise of God. And then he says, by the way, you being a blessing is also going to be a blessing back to you. And this might be the last lesson that I want to share with you today, is that we have to be very, very careful to pay attention to the order of the way that we uh, participate in God's plan. Pay attention back to what Elijah said. Make, make me some food first. He wasn't saying that because he was being selfish. He was saying that because it was the word of the Lord. Because God said, this woman's going to provide for you. And so he, what did he hear? She only has enough for like one person to eat. So he said, okay, well, now I know what needs to happen. You need to provide for me so that you also come in line with the word of the Lord. And now I can declare a promise to you. Again, the Western idea and much of the way we view the church and generosity and being a blessing in the church is, God, I'm going to pray and you're going to provide for me, right? In fact, I've got a list of all the different ways that you're going to provide for me. I'd like this job, this much money, live in, in this house with this spouse, with kids who never disobey. It's going to be super awesome and everything's always going to go great for me. And once you give me all of those things, like literally, I mean, once we get to, I've got 10 things on the list and once number 10 is checked off in this order, then I can be generous. And God says, why don't we flip that entire list, and I, I'll let you know after you obey, if I'll check those things off. Because I might actually have a completely different list. God's plan, God's intention was for this woman to be a resource out of her lack, so that he could bless her. And could you imagine if this woman had said, I can't do it. This is all I have, and I need to, I need to take care of my, myself and my boy. Every single one of us in this room would go, I, yeah, especially parents, you go, that totally makes sense. And yet God's plan doesn't actually have to make sense to our, our order. God's order is, before you eat and die, make me what I've asked for first, follow and obey first, and then, and then there will be enough to take care of yourself and to continue to be a blessing. The story goes on. By the way, it ends. It says, so she did what Elijah told her to do. The woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty. The oil jug did not run dry according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Why? Because God is always faithful and he's always creative. And when we get in line with the way he wants to creatively be faithful to us, God will, shocker, be faithful. Because he's always faithful to his people when we obey. Right? Right? Okay, good. Got it. Landed it. God always keeps his word. He always provides for his people. It may, in fact, it probably won't be in the way you asked for Sometimes I'm convinced that I ask just so that God can figure out the way I want it. And, and then he, he goes, okay, since you asked that way, let's do it this way. 
lives. The question is not, will God be faithful? The question is, will you do what it takes to be blessed by God? And do what it takes to be blessed by God is not your words. It's will you lay your life down? So hear me. I believe in the prosperity for the believer. I do. But I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. The difference is I believe prosperity is a part of the kingdom, but I haven't made it all of the gospel. Okay? So in that, God wants you to prosper. But the way that he wants you to prosper is it's probably going to cost you everything. And then once you have positioned yourself to give everything and obey in everything, then God will bless you. That's how it works. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it looks like money. I don't know if it looks like bird dash. And I don't know if it looks uncomfortable. I don't know if it looks like what the world would say is success. The question isn't, will God be faithful? The question is, will you do your part? And in responding, will you also be a blessing? So speaking of responding, we're going to respond to this similarly to the way that we started. Before we, I started preaching after, at the end of worship, Sharon asked you to get with a couple of other people and just to begin to pray. And so we're going to take the next few minutes. We're going to end our time in the Word together today having a quick conversation. One of the things that we want to begin to do here in our church in this new season as we've all forgotten and we're trying to learn how to build relationship again is that we're just going to spend some time in conversation. And so I understand that this might be uncomfortable, but if you made it through that very uncomfortable sermon, talking to your neighbor is easy. Right? So I just want you to talk to a neighbor for a second. I'm going to give you a couple things that I want you to talk about, and then I'm going to invite you to pray for each other. So here's, here's number one. I want you to briefly name some way that you've seen God provide for you. So how has God provided for you? Now, then number two, name a need. Can you name a way God has been faithful? And can you name some way you're asking him to be faithful? What has God done and what do you need? And then number three, can you name a way that you can be a blessing? Or you can be a resource. Even if in saying it, it feels like it would be giving out of your lack, like the widow. But I know, I, I just, I don't know if I have the time, I don't know if I have the money, but I just feel like God wants me to be a blessing to people in, and then you say the way. Okay? You get through all three of those or get through a couple of those, but why don't you turn real quick to a couple of neighbors and just talk about some of those things. How has God been faithful? What do you need? How can you be a blessing to somebody else? And then pray for each other. I'll call us back in just a few moments and we'll pray again. Uh, as you guys are talking and praying, I'll remind you of what these things are. So go ahead and get moving. Sit in some groups. Talk with a neighbor. Talk with a friend. If you're only talking with your spouse, invite somebody else to come and sit with you. Hang out with somebody you haven't talked to in a minute and get to chatting and then get to praying. If you're joining us online, you can do this as well, just like we did last week. You can always put in comments in the chat uh, for everybody in that group. That's your group today. So what is a way God has been faithful? Put that in the chat. What is something that you need that you're asking God to be a provider for? Put that in the chat. And what is a way you can be a blessing to someone that you know or maybe just someone that God leads you to? Put that in the chat. And then pray for each other. Pastor Sharon's on the chat with you, so she's going to be leading you through all of that. God bless you as you talk and pray. God, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to hear from your word, to be friends and family in this place, and to share with one another, to pray for one another. I pray that this week that you would call these things back to our minds. We could pray for these people that we just sat and talked with. 
or maybe even begin to build and strengthen relationships in this church as we talk with and pray for one another. And Lord, I would ask that you would allow me to pray this blessing over the people of Life Church, friends uh, here and online. May all your needs be met by God from his unending riches. May you have eyes to see all the creative ways that God is faithful to you. May you experience peace as God meets your need, and may you experience great joy as God uses you to be a resource to meet other people's needs. In the name of the one true God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and who takes great pleasure in giving his children the kingdom of heaven, may you be blessed and may you be a blessing. Amen.